Y'all were awesome. I'm so excited to share with you guys. Um, hopefully I can explain just how much has went into this message. Um, what a weird week it has been for me. I have never hit a wall like I have uh, in preparing for this message. It was, it, again, this isn't a heavy message. This isn't, you know, I'm like calling out the church and their sin or something like that. Like, it's not something that I'm uh, ashamed to share with or, or worried about how it's going to, you know, uh, or, you know, be received, but it just, I had hit a wall this week, and uh, I, I just believed that, uh, had, had the, Pastor Kelly, Pastor Casey pray over me, Tiffany called, she prayed with me, while my wife was praying with me, so then after that, just kind of, you know, powered through that wall, and I believe that God is just about to do some incredible things, and it might be one of the first Sundays that I don't cry sharing to y'all. Probably not, but we can be optimistic, right? All right, let's get started. Does anyone else anyone in here, do you hate your name? Any, like, hate's, hate's a little bit of a dramatic term. I get that. Hate is a, a pretty strong word, honestly. But is, is there anyone else in here that doesn't like their name? To be honest, yeah? I do not like my name at all. If there was any possibility that I could change it, I would. Like, there is a possibility. But then after that, like, the pressure of picking a new name. And then, so obviously my name is Ben Harris. Uh, I mean, I could go by Benjamin, because that's technically my full name, but it's too late in the game now. If I change my name, I'm just going to be, like, pretentious or something, you know? You can't change your name after being going about this long. And, and honestly, like, I, I really did not like my name growing up. I did not like my name growing up. It's just one syllable, Ben, blah, I don't know. It just, can anyone in here relate at all? Anybody in here relate, not liking your name, not being a fan of it, kind of mad at your mom for naming that, wish you would have thought of something different. But again, what should, what should would it, like, that's a lot of pressure to, to, to name someone. My brother begged my mom to name me David. Um, I don't really see me as a David. Like, no offense to any Davids in here. I don't know why. It just, like, don't see me as a David. So I guess Ben was better. I'm not sure. But I am not a fan of my name at all. And it's amazing how things just run full circle. It's amazing how all the questions I had as a kid about my parents, I'm getting to learn by being a parent. Can anyone else in here relate? I mean, it's amazing just how things run first full circle. Like, when I was a kid, our pantry and refrigerator were always empty. And for some reason, we had, we had miscellaneous items, but you could not combine those items to make a meal. Like, it just did not work. I'm like, why do we have the pasta noodles if we have zero pasta sauce? Like, you know? Like, what is this point? And now, being a, a grown-up, being a parent, I'm like, yo, groceries are expensive. Like... I'm terrified to go to the grocery store because I know it is impossible to leave there without spending, you know, a couple hundred dollars. So now I'm like, I kind of get it, Mom and Dad. I totally get it. Groceries are expensive. Things run full circle. In this process, Amanda and I have had the privilege to uh, name another human. That's crazy to me. Name another human. Like, that is what they are literally going to be known by. Like, literally going to be known by for the rest of their life. Thank God that we felt like you know, God gave us the first name, and then God kind of gave the second name to Amanda, uh, our baby. You know, we have Judah Lynn, and now we have Eleanor Ruth on the way. So, super excited about that. Again, this is like a lot of pressure, and I totally understand now. Like, there's a lot of pressure. Uh, it's, it's a big deal to name and identify another human, because like I said, this is literally what they're going to be known for for the rest of their life. And, and why is that? Because names can be defining. How many know that names can be defining? A lot of you in here have a last name. We live in a small town. We live in a rural area. A lot of you in here have last names. When those last names are heard, already, 
already connotations, already, already, you know, certain ideas, certain uh, character traits and stuff are being put on you for just having the last name. Just having the last name because, again, it's a small town and these names, they carry so much weight and these names can be very defining. And there's many famous name changes in the Bible. Why? Why is there name changes in the Bible? Because our God is in the name changing business. Right, church? Amen? All right. A, a much clearer and much less Pentecostal answer uh, would be because over the course of our lives, either ourselves or others have labeled us with identities that directly contradict the identity that our Father has in store for us. These labels contradict what God has in store for us. So somewhere along the path, we or others who have allowed us to get off this course, get off this path that God has laid for us and, and set into place for us, and that's why he's in this name-changing business because he wants to, I mean, he goes at great lengths to fix those issues, to bring us back. Again, great lengths even as big as changing our name. And that's important because there's, there's a direct correlation between names and identities. There is a difference, you know, between, you know, names and identities. They're not totally the same, but there's a direct connection between them, having a name and having an identity. Pastor Casey opened up week one with the story of Abraham and Sarai. Even then, when he was speaking, he was like, I'm just either going to call him Abe because he went by Abram at first, and then he went by Abraham, and it's really tricky. Sarah, Sarah went by Sarai, and then she went by Sarah. So it was really tricky to remember like when exactly that happened. But, but what happened was, was the two, these two individuals encountered God, and through this journey, God changed their name to Abraham and Sarah. And, and what he did in that encounter was he, he promised them what he promised Abraham, be the father of many nations through Sarah. He would bear a child. He had to make it very specific through Sarah because Abraham got off course. And then, you know, Haggai came in. Anybody familiar with the story? So we get off course, and that's why God has to do some name changing. Jacob wrestled with God. Anybody remember Jacob wrestling with the Lord? So Jacob wrestled with God, and the Lord changed his name to Israel. I don't know if that means he won the match or not. Like, I don't know if that's what he was fighting for, but he went from liar or, sorry, Jacob. Yeah, take it up with your mom again, man, you know. It's not me. It's your mama. Uh, he went from being known as liar or deceiver to God's chosen. To God's chosen to be named Israel, Israel, God's people. There, there are just a, a ton of examples in the Old Testament, but that's just a few of the famous ones. Let's fast forward to the New Testament. And one of the most popular, I'm sure everyone familiar with, is Saul. Anybody remember the Apostle Saul? He wasn't the Apostle Saul, he was the Apostle Paul, but before the Apostle Paul, he was Saul. Saul uh, encountered God in, in having his whole world wrecked. I mean, you're talking about an encounter with the Most High. Saul encountered God. He was uh, walking on this road. The Lord appeared to him, blinded him, and he had to be led around for three days until Ananias, another guy that was appointed by the Lord, came and prayed for him, and when he prayed for him, his vision returned. So Saul's vision is returned. You could say that he sees things a little bit differently after that vision comes back, and then Saul is turned into Apostle Paul. The Lord changes his name to Paul, and he goes from persecuting the church to planting the church. Like, that is the 180 degree that Saul took. He went from persecuting the church, locking them away, trying everything in the world he could to prevent the gospel, to spreading the gospel, dedicating his life to spreading the gospel, making the name of Jesus known. After that, he is uh, accredited with writing about 25% of the New Testament. 
So without that name change, without that identity change, we would be lacking 25% of the New Testament now, all right? That's a, that's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big deal, and that's a pretty dramatic shift in name change and a shift in the identity. And these new names, they represented new identities. And the, and the timing of these new names were in exact timing with their new identities. Are, are you guys following me? When, when they were completely changed, their lives took a totally new path. And, and in that moment, all the examples I just mentioned, mentioned were very specific events. They were very specific events, and, and I want to make that abund- abundantly clear. Um, kind of what today, in, in today's term, we would look at this as like their testimony stories. And I know for some reason Casey's testimony gets put on blast. I mean, it's a powerful testimony, but like everyone that gets up here would just have to share Casey's testimony, okay? Um, I have a testimony too, so I'm actually, I'm actually not sharing that today, but it's whatever. Again, we would put that, the, these, uh, these events, these encounters with God, we, we would kind of like label that today as like testimonies. These people were either doing something bad or just away from God or, or, or whatever, you know, living in sin, whatever the issue was. Then they meet God. Their lives are totally changed. They begin living for him. And then right after that, they make this 180 and then they start following God. In those encounters, that's when their new, their new names were given because they were given a new identity. Like I said, these are these, you know, Abraham, he wasn't a bad guy before this. He wasn't living in sin. He wasn't persecuting the church like Saul. But again, he wasn't doing the will of God. He wasn't doing the will of the Father, but then he encountered God. God gave him purpose. And in that event, in that specific timing, God changed his name. So the name, the new name was directly correlated with like the new identity. Does everyone follow me? In that moment, they had a new name and they had a new identity. There's one name that uh, name change that Jesus likes to throw a curveball with. He breaks the mold for all the other names, and I know I probably overthink it, but it just it really really challenges challenges me. Truthfully, like this is a sidebar note. I should like stand over here when I have a sidebar note, not not connected to my message whatsoever. Just thoughts that come into my head. A sidebar note. Does does anyone else notice God has a pattern of like having no pattern? He's like we're gonna do it like this until we're not, and then we're gonna do it like this. All right. We're going to use this object, and we don't, and then we're going to come over here and use ob- this object. Like, he just, he, he doesn't have a pattern, and, and I find that fascinating that there's nothing at God's, there's nothing at God's disposal that he can't use, all right? I mean, everything and anything he can speak through and use, and um, that's just fascinating to me. But like I said, there is this one time that, that is different from all the rest, and the name, uh, the name, the new name coming with the new identity in a specific moment. There's one time that the name change wasn't following an identity-changing encounter. Um, this might work. No, it doesn't. Chloe, take the lead here. Pull up that first. Thank you. Uh, this is John chapter one, and this is in the this is the very beginning of the fourth gospel. John the Baptist is announcing the arrival of the Messiah. So we're like just coming out of the gate here. John the Baptist is announcing the arrival of Messiah, and Jesus is beginning to gather his first disciples. This is John chapter one, verse forty and forty one. Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, "We have found the Messiah." which is translated to Christ, and he brought Simon to Jesus. Pull that next verse up for me. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. He said, You are Simon, son of John, and you will be, you will be called Peter. 
So immediately upon uh, Simon meeting Jesus, he gets his name changed. There's nothing more. There's there's nothing more than an encountering. I mean, it, it must be a privilege to actually meet Jesus. Don't get me wrong. That in itself was probably an incredible encounter. But but there's nothing. You know, there's no blinding him. There's no um, speaking through a donkey. There's no other angels. There, there's not. You know, this like supernatural event going on. All he's doing is is he's meeting Jesus, and immediately Jesus gives him a name change. You were Simon, but now you're going to be called Peter. That Cephas, which is translated Peter, which is also translated rock. So he says, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Peter. So if you haven't filled in your first fill-in, if you've been waiting patiently for me, good job. And you can go ahead. That's not a trick question. If anyone's got a bulletin right now, that's not a trick question. I just want you to write your name in. I want you to write your name in. And I totally believe that God is just going to... uh, speak so powerfully this morning. This morning, like I, like I was saying earlier, that you know, I, I was hitting a wall in, in preparing for this message. This morning, I feel like Holy Spirit is leading me to speak on identity. I was supposed to be teaching on the title Unfocus, uh, but I guess that means you guys are just going to have me back soon, okay? Because I got a word in my back pocket, and I'm ready to share it. Uh, hopefully, Pastor Kelly's seen that, so I want to read it, Pastor Kelly. Oh, that camera. I'm sorry. Shout out to our, all our online audience, more than just Pastor Kelly. He's not even watching this, let's be honest, all right? He may watch it tonight when he's like halfway asleep, but he'll probably listen to it tomorrow. Um, we're closing out our series of remodel, like Pastor Casey was saying, and the big idea is remodeling the way we think about God, the way we think about or, or, or the way we perceive God, uh, you know, re, trying to remodel common misconceptions, remodeling, remodeling what we think about him. Who else has enjoyed this series? Anybody else? Yeah? You can clap. It's okay. You can clap or do something. Praise the Lord. Uh, my beautiful wife opened up the series with a practical message on hearing from God. I love the way she speaks, um, like teaching. I mean, I love her voice anyways. I don't know. But uh, it's very practical. It, it, it's just so simplified, and I absolutely love the way she teaches. She was adorable up here running out of breath, and now she knows how I feel every time I look at her. <laughs> get it? I, come on. Now you guys know how I landed her. I know you guys are trying to put it together. It didn't add up in your mind. Now you figured it out. It's because I got game. A little bit. A little bit of game. The game is leaving. All right. Uh, So she opened up week one, Pastor Casey. uh, He was talking about the timing of God and wait for it. And we realized that not a lot of people listen to Hamilton. Listen, I'm not one for musicals. But that dude that wrote Hamilton's a genius, okay? That is like... If I don't get anything out of Jonathan today, he's going to be, like, praising for that. <laughs> and it sparked me. I think we can do an entire series on Hamilton. I think we could do it. Um, every, I'm finding out who the Hamilton fans are. But, yeah. I didn't like it at first, but then we'd get in the car, and I was like, if you want to listen to Hamilton, you can, because it'd be really nice, and it's stuck in my head as well. Uh, so he was talking about wait for it. Uh, wait for it, the timing of God, and then Pastor Bob taking a very literal look at the idea of remodeling and applying that to our own lives. I love that because it, it was very literal and broken down, and I think the next time, D, I think he should speak on forgiveness because I don't think he has forgiven that appraisal guy, and I think they still have some strong issues, and he does have some harsh feelings in his heart, so we might should walk Pastor Bob through that. But to close out this series, though, I would like to, I'd like to re- reverse engineer the big idea. And in order to, to remodel the way we think about God, I think it's important to discover the way God thinks about us. 
I think it's very important to, to figure, we're, we're trying to do this, we're trying to figure out God, we're trying to, you know, know his likes and dislikes, we're trying to learn how he operates, and I think it's very, very important in the key to figuring out, uh, you know, thinking about God, I think it's extremely important to find out the way God thinks about us. For the most, of, for the most part, many of us, we know God, you know, like Pastor Casey and, and Pastor Kelly were teaching on several weeks ago, we, we know his character, and they would describe this as knowing him in an intellectual way, you know, having knowledge of him. You know, we, we know who he is and what he's done and what he's capable of. We, we know characteristics about him. Um, and, and a lot of us, many of us know him on that level. A lot of us know him, you know, kind of on the surface level and then, and then move into a little bit deeper, deeper on a personal level. level. A lot of us know him on a personal level. You know, we've heard his voice. Um, he's guided us through the dark sometimes. You know, we have walked through seasons in our life where he's just been that friend, you know, so close. And in those moments, we had that deep, intimate relation with him growing. So, so you know, we moved from that, knowing him on the surface. Knowing him on the surface, I was doing good right until now, and I'm just butchering all these words. Knowing him on the surface to knowing him a little bit more personally. Uh, but knowing what he thinks about us is where I think a lot of us fall off. I think that's where we lose a lot of us, knowing what he thinks about us, which brings me to the uh, third grader comeback of, I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? God, I know that you're holy. God, I know that you're, you're sovereign, you're mighty, you know, you're, you're all these things, you're the great I am. I know, I know you are, but what am I? Jesus, I, I know that your love, your grace, like that's, that's, that's not just something you do, that, that's in your nature, that's, that's part of your identity, God, you are love. You are love, your grace, and you're a friend. And I know you are these things, but what am I? Has anyone ever felt that way? Has anyone ever, ever you know, uh, tried to figure that out? You know, what is God thinking about us? We know him so well, but I think a lot of us don't even know ourselves. So in the process of discovering the way God thinks about you, I'm praying that you and I will discover our true identity that is found in him. And, and not to be tr too... Uh, I guess, yeah, not to be too negative, um, not to be too, like, I don't want to come up here every week and then be like, the church or the world is doing this and they're sinning, blah, blah, blah. But if you look around, guys, I don't know if we've ever had an identity crisis such as the one that we have now. If you look around and what our world and what our culture, what is going on, I don't know if, if an identity crisis has, has ever been more um, just, you know, so, so strong, such an issue. A lot of preachers, when they're speaking, when they get to, like, to get their point across, you know, to try to show how vital that subject is, you know, they, they make a really big deal, big deal out of it. Obviously, if I'm speaking on worship, then I'm going to tell you how much worship can change your lives. Like, if there's one thing you need to be doing, it's worship. If I'm speaking on prayer one week, then I'm going to be like, praying will change your life. You have to start praying. You know, it is vital. It, it is all this. Like, I'm going to emphasize each one of those things. Uh, all of those things are true but I really don't think I can overemphasize this point enough. There is an identity crisis going on like never before, and I think it is so important, not just in the world. Again, obviously they're lost. They don't know Jesus. In the church, though, I think that there is an identity crisis that is creeping in, and we have to learn our identity in Christ. We have to walk in that identity. We have to guard that identity. Like I said, I, I firmly believe that our identity is under attack like never before. Never before, and that needs to put some pressure on us. That needs to put some pressure on us. Anytime that you hear what's going on in the world and what's bad, you shouldn't feel good that at least we're not doing that. We should feel convicted because we have to go and change that. We're the ones that are supposed to be making the difference. Is everyone following me this morning? A little bit? 
Praise God, hopefully we get there. So like I, say, like I said, I believe that many people have, have struggled with their identities, trying to discover who they are in, in everything and everyone except for the one for a while. And like I said, to help exaggerate my point, think about the ongoing sexual identity crisis. Like I know, I know that's what we kind of boil it down to, like our identity is found in our sexual preference or who we are as a gender. That's not, that's not our identity, okay? That might be a sexual identity, but that's not who we are. And uh, I know we tend to think of the good old days like we didn't have these issues. And I will give you that. They weren't, more, they weren't as pre prevalent as they were now. But I do think that it has been an issue that has been ongoing and that has been growing. So just hear me out for a second. Um, like I said, I don't think it was that difficult to find someone long time ago dealing with same-sex attraction or, or wanting to, you know, act like, you know, thinking they're confused about their gender and acting like the opposite gender. Um, but, but to help make my point, you know, let's just, let's just think about that for a second. Used to, it was, again, dealing with sexual preference or, or confused on the two genders. Now we've moved into a point that on Facebook, you can go into the custom and then you can click from a choice of like 50 plus genders. All right? That is a growing identity issue, okay? That is a growing identity issue, and we shouldn't feel good about it that it's going on there and not here. We should feel so convicted and so compelled to go and change what is going on out there. Can I get an amen? amen. And we might want to ignore this problem. We might not, you know, we, we might not want to face it because we feel awkward about it. It, it, it seems weird, and, and we don't want to be offensive or anything like that, but this issue is creeping its way into our church because Amanda and I are dealing it dealing with it with our young people now. Like I said, it, it, it wasn't that uncommon to, um, to be praying for someone. They're saying, I, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with same-sex attraction. You know, that, that was not very common for us to be praying with someone, a, a young person, and that be a thing. They're dealing with same-sex attraction or, again, maybe confused on their gender or something like that. And we'll be praying with them. We'll be speaking the Word of God into them. Uh, we know what the Word of God says, so we don't shy away from that. We speak that with love. Um, but now, it, I think it's happened twice now where a young person has approached us and say, this is my new name that I'm going to go by because I'm a totally different person now. I'm a totally, and not in the good way, not what we're talking about. Totally confused on the gender, gender uh, t totally confused on who they are, totally confused on their identity. So they're wanting to, you know, identify someone else, another person or another gender. And we've been having to deal with that, deal with that, uh, you know, these young people, the, the issue that's going on. So that's why I'm standing here today to say that we need to address the identity issue that is happening. Before we get into the scripture and, and, you know, what God says about it, I will go ahead and pick on some people because I'm not getting a lot of amens anyways. So I waited out here. Might as well just roll with it, you know? Um, one of the reasons behind this identity crisis and our young people is parents, we got to be affirming who they are. We got to be speaking life into them. We have to be the one. They're getting called every name in the book at school, anywhere else, on social media, all of that. Guys, we have to be speaking life to them. Parents, you have to start. It might be awkward and it might be weird, but you have to start affirming and speaking the word of God into their lives, okay? That would make mine and Amanda's job a whole lot easier, okay? So no matter how weird it is, no how comfortable it is, no how much they don't like it, speak that into them. I think Casey's going to absolutely love this story, and he's going to laugh at me for so long. But my dad, it sounds corny, but it means a lot to me, okay? My dad called me champion from, like, from as long as I can remember. Anytime I, I know he's going to laugh. That's why I wear the shirt, too, okay? This isn't a brand. 
When you, when you read Champion, you think Ben Harris, okay? That's right. From as long as I can remember, I, I, I just remember him calling me, my mom called me Baby Ben. I didn't like that one. I don't claim that one at all. She's like, you're my baby, though. Nah, all right? Champion, much better, much more applicable to my life. He called me champion from as long as I can remember, and I know that's not, you know, that godly or anything like that, but knowing that's, that's what my father thought about me. That's what my father thought about me, that I was a champion. So when I would go to school and it felt like I, I, I would just lose in every category, that wouldn't shape my identity because my identity was already being shaped, that I'm a winner, I'm a victor, all right? That's, that's what my identity was based on, was founded on. So guys, speak into your children. Speak into your children. You have no idea how powerful your words are, how much weight they carry. We could, we could do an entire, entire message on the power in your words, all right? The power in the tongue. We've done that before, but parents, your words are powerful. Your words are vital. Speak life into your children. Even if they're not your children, don't go around and say, you know, he's just like his daddy. He's just like his mama. Speak something into them. Speak life into them. Okay, Awesome. That went over super well, and I'm glad that you guys were so busy writing down what to say that you couldn't amen, and that's what was going on. Thank you, Lillian. You might be asking yourself, is this really that serious? Does our identity really mean that much? And it, and it does. I'll tell you why your identity ma matters so much. Big picture, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, your identity matters so much because this is the only play that the enemy has left. This is the only play that the enemy has left. He is a defeated foe, guys, all right? He has already lost the war. He is well aware of that, all right? He knows the outcome. He has lost the war, but he still fights to win the battle in our minds. He's lost the war, but he still fights to win the battle in our minds because that, again, is the only play he has left. And unfortunately, he knows many of us better than we know our own selves. He knows that many of us know that we, better than we know, we, or know our own selves. And how is that? Because he knows our creator. He's well aware of who God is and what he is capable of. He is well aware of the resurrection power that lives inside of us. So he knows what we are capable of. Listen, if the enemy knows if we catch a glimpse of our identity in Jesus, then we're going to start to walk a little bit different. We're going to start to talk a little bit different. We're going to start to operate in the authority that Jesus has already given us, all right? And that is exactly what he is trying to prevent. That's what he's terrified of. And when I say that the enemy knows what we are capable of, I don't, I don't want to give him too much credit. I don't, I don't think that he can see into the future. I'm, I, I, I don't think that he's that powerful, honestly. But when I say that he knows what we're capable of, because he knows what we're capable of because he was there when Acts was being written, when the book of Acts, when the, when the apostles were first founding the church, he, he witnessed every bit of that firsthand. Guys, that's what this church is capable of. That's what we are capable of, all right? So that's why he knows what we're capable of. He witnessed it, all right? He was getting his butt handed to him like, on every single day, like a daily basis, every occasion, all right? I mean, he knows exactly, exactly what we're capable of because he has seen God operate through people. He has seen Holy Spirit operate through the church, and that is exactly what he's terrified of. I am naive enough to believe that we are capable of the exact same miracles and the exact same authority, okay? Amen. So that's kind of the big, like the, the, the large answer on, you know, on a bigger scale. On a day-to-day -day level, though, our identity is so important because, Chloe, if you can bring that point up for me, our identity influences our thoughts. Our identity influences our thoughts. Why is that important? You can bring that next slide up. Our thoughts influence our behavior. Our thoughts influence our behavior. 
It's a chain reaction. It's a a cause and effect. I've seen this process in my own life. Like I said, when I was getting called champion, that that was influencing my thoughts. That was influencing my thoughts. That, that's what I perceived my identity to be as, to, to be a winner, to be a victor. So I would let those, let those thoughts influence my behavior. I wouldn't walk around like a defeated foe. I wouldn't walk around like I've, like I've already lost something. I would walk around like I was victorious, not to be, not to be arrogant, not to be uh, you know, misplaced for that, to be bold, to know that that, that was my identity. I've seen this happen in my life. I've seen this happen in Amanda's life. Uh, a quick story, I mean, kind of on Amanda, she, I don't want to like offend anyone, but she just didn't have those words spoken into her, right? She had, she had a great upbringing, don't get me wrong, but she just didn't have those words spoken into her. She didn't have those spoken into her. And then when I tell her that I try to get my point across of how beautiful it is, she's like, you're just biased. And I'm like, no, like other people think this. We're on this trip and it's amazing how God works. Um, so I took her down, last week was our anniversary, seven years. Woo-hoo. If you do the math, I was 18 when I married her because that's when my mom said I had to wait to, all right? My mama also said I had to wait till I was 25 to get a tattoo. I'm 25 now. I'm still afraid of needles, though, so. Um, but last weekend, we were celebrating our anniversary, and I took her down to Blue Ridge, Georgia. Uh, we had to make a... I can't, we can't drive very far because she's my best friend, but she's not the best passenger, okay? Just put it like that. So... To make us, to plan ahead to have a great trip, let's not have a long car ride. Uh, so we went down to Blue Ridge, Georgia, actually ended up getting stuck in traffic on Highway 74 for two and a half hours. It's so whatever. It was a good, it was a good trip. Um, we we're walking around the downtown area, and she's wearing these overalls um, with her belly. It's pretty large, all right? I mean, it's, she's tiny, so when her stomach is sticking out like this, it's pretty obvious she's uh, super pregnant. Uh, she's walking around in uh, this overalls, this outfit that she's always wearing. We're walking around downtown, and I swear there was like 30 people to compliment on how cute she was. And I was like, see, it's not just me. I was like, it's other people. We think you're beautiful. Um, but again, like I said, her identity, uh, those thoughts that were influenced, she didn't have that. She didn't have that life spoken into her. She didn't, I mean, she didn't think that she was that attractive of a person. She didn't think, she thinks that like she's the, the reacher in the relationship craziest woman ever, all right? Um, but again, she didn't have that life spoken, in th- so that influenced her behavior. That influenced her behavior. She, you know, she's sometimes self-conscious about herself, and, and again, those thoughts influence her behavior. I've seen that happen, you know, this chain reaction. I've seen it happen into so many li- uh, so many's lives. Uh, the, the people that I'm close to, my friends, I've, I've seen it happen into, into Pastor Kelly's life. And again, this system shows true uh, in everyone that our identity influences our thoughts and our thoughts influence our behavior. And we're going to watch that play out, uh, this system play out in the life of Simon because uh, we are going to read the Bible. We're in church. I know everyone's getting worried like we're not going to have any scripture. But we are. This, is, this system plays true in the life of Simon Peter as well. Um, and this is the fourth time I've taught on the life of Simon Peter. I have no idea what God is trying to deposit in my spirit, but I've spoken about him four times this summer. I keep coming back to the life of Simon Peter. Hopefully, eventually, I figure it out so I don't have to keep, you know, sharing this message. But for some reason, God keeps drawing, Holy Spirit keeps drawing me back to the life of Simon Peter. Uh, so John chapter 1, uh, Simon immediately has his name changed to Peter, right out of gate. And in doing this, Jesus was being prophetic because to know Peter, this was in name change only, okay? 
This is in change of name only, all right? We know this because after this encounter uh, with Jesus, Peter still acts a lot like Simon. Peter might have had his name changed to Peter the Rock, but he still acts a whole lot like Simon. Can anyone, can anyone relate? You might have met Jesus, but you still got a lot of the old ways that you're acting like, all right? You still got a lot of the old likes and, and, and a lot of the old characteristics that you're still dealing with. You might be a Christian, but you're still acting a lot like the old you. I think a lot of us can relate. So a quick glance at the life of Peter after he meets Jesus. After he meets Jesus and Jesus changes his name to Peter, uh, and I'm going to run through these. We're going to run basically through like all the Gospels. Uh, Jesus rebuked Peter more than any other disciple. Jesus rebuked Peter any, more than any other disciple. Jesus was the only disciple to rebuke Jesus. Peter was the only disciple to rebuke Jesus. Again, this is all after Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter. Peter denied Jesus publicly. And when you read the words, you realize, like, it, it, he put a lot of emphasis. I mean, the way that he denied Jesus was very, very powerful. He didn't even say his name. When he was accused of it, he said, that man or the man, all right? He wouldn't even say the name of Jesus, okay? Acted like he had no idea who he was. So Peter denied Jesus publicly. Peter asked Jesus how many times they should actually have to forgive someone. That doesn't sound very innocent at all, all right? So Peter was asking Jesus, hey, how many times do I really have to forgive someone? Because he was probably dealing with some unforgiveness. After, after the encounter with the rich young ruler, Peter questioned Jesus on what their reward would be for following him. Again, that doesn't sound really, really, really innocent either. Like, hey, Jesus, uh, you know, just a reminder, we've sacrificed everything for you. So, um, you know, what, what, what's our reward? What are, what are we going to re get in return for this? Uh, Peter cut off the right ear of the soldier that served the high priest out of anger. Again, this is all after an encounter with Jesus. Uh, Peter told Jesus no way that he could wash his feet, again, rebuking Jesus, telling him no. I just don't like, people ignore Jesus, but it's pretty tough to tell Jesus no, all right? When he's sitting there talking to you and you tell Jesus no, you might have some issues. And after the death of Jesus, Peter led the way for the other disciples to return to their old ways. After the death of Jesus, some of the disciples were like, what do we do now? And Jesus, or Peter said, let's just go back to our old life. Let's just go back to fishing. That's what we know. Um, you know, just pretty much ignoring the past three years of their life, what they just experienced, what they just witnessed. Uh, and again, getting to walk with Jesus. To me, that doesn't sound like a really changed man. That doesn't sound like a, a really changed man. Uh, of course, over the time... Over the time of this, you know, over these three years, Peter did some incredible things. I'm not saying that he was, he was the worst, but if we look at it, it really does, does look like Jesus or Peter was Jesus' problem child. Does it not? Like, Jesus loved him, but I think he was Jesus' problem child. He was Jesus' problem child for sure, for sure. But I believe the main reason for Peter's behavior wasn't necessarily an identity crisis. Like I said, Jesus spoke into him. He, he was prophesying over him. He prophesied into him. Uh, over who he was and what he would be. But Peter's issue, like so many of us, Peter was living in his identity rather than living from his identity. Go ahead and pull that up, Chloe. So my question to you this morning, are you living in your identity or are you living from your identity? I wish I had a better way to, to, to word it, and, and I promise I'll explain, but are you living in your identity or are you living from your identity? Living in or living from, what's the difference? Because many of us in here know who we're supposed to be. We've had life spoken into us. We've had, we've had prophetic words given to us. Many of us know what Jesus has said about us, what Jesus has spoken into us. Many of us had great upbringings, what parents affirmed in us, what we spoke into us, um, you know, who the Lord has called us and ordained us to be. 
but rather than operating out of that identity, we just keep it in. It's more of an inward reflection. It's an, it's an inward thing of having that identity. We, we know who we are and we know who we're supposed to be, but rather than living that out, operating from that, we just keep it in. So I believe that Peter knew that he was supposed to be the rock. He was supposed to be Peter, what, what Jesus had changed his name, what he was called him to be. But I, leave, I believe for three years, Peter lived with that inward identity. He lived by keeping that in. He never operated out of that. When he acted out, when he did things, he acted as Simon. When, when he, when he, what he was operating out of, he was operating out of the Simon identity and not the Peter, the rock identity. So rather than just, you know, keeping that identity in, I hope you guys are, are getting this point because I believe it is very powerful. We have to operate out of that identity because when God changed Simon's name to Peter, it wasn't just so that Peter could have a good life. It was so that Peter could go and plant the church and lead thousands to Jesus. When God changes your guys' name, when he changes your name, when he changes your identity, it's very seldom that he has you in mind. He wants to restore you because he loves you, but he's got something big for you. And he wants you to operate out of that new that new name. I keep bringing Casey up, and I don't know why, but, I mean, here is a guy that operates out of his new identity. Here's a guy that worships out of his new identity, okay? I can't even, I, I don't even remember the old Casey. I was not around him very much, but it's just like, I, I, I can't even remember just what that guy looks like because it's just such a new identity switch. And I'm so thankful that when Casey received that new identity, he didn't just live in it that he didn't just go to work and, and, and just be this normal average dude that, you know, that he wasn't up here leading worship and, and teaching and preaching, all right? You see him and he's operating out of that identity. He's operating out of the new Casey, all right? Not the old Casey, the new Casey. So are you living in your identity? You might know who God's called you to be. God might have changed your name, but are you living from that identity? Unfortunately, uh, the big issue is, is, is we don't know that identity, a lot of us, and God gave me this illustration some time ago, but I think when we come up here, we're all guilty of, of laying stuff down at the feet of Jesus. But then when we lay it down, we walk back empty. I think one of the biggest issues that people deal with, with laying down their depression, their anxiety, or their addiction, is because I believe that they empty themselves out before the Lord, but don't ever fill themselves up back with anything else. They don't, they don't receive anything from God. So it's not laying stuff down at Jesus. It's trading with Jesus. When we lay stuff down at his feet, we pick up his peace. When we lay that, when we lay that anxiety down, we pick up his peace. When we lay that addiction down, we, we pick up his freedom, all right? That's how we are actually operating in a change. That's how we know that we're changed. That's how we, to fill the void, to fill the void, we bring back, we, we pick up what Jesus has for us. And unfortunately, a lot of us don't really know what God has for us. The sad thing is many of you don't really know what God thinks about you. So what does God really think about you? What does the Father, the Creator, uh, of everything and anything, all power, all knowledge, all authority, what does the Father actually think about you? I wrote a quick list down, and I'm going to share them. And I left, a, if you notice, I left some blanks in your page, and that's because when I say one and it resonates with your spirit, you just write it down, you claim it. Pastor Kelly's used this illustration, and I gave it to him, so I'm just going to take full credit for it. Uh, has anyone ever been to Lambert's Cafe? Lambert's Cafe? Yeah? I got, some, I got some real foodies in here. All right, at Lambert's Cafe, they walk around, literally the most unhealthiest restaurant that you'll ever eat at in your life. Promise, all right? They have a salad on the menu. The salad is made inside this massive bowl of bread, okay? I'm like, what's the point? 
What's the point? All right, unhealthiest place you'll go to. But what they do is they walk around, they have these massive homemade rolls, and what they'll throw them to you. They'll throw them to you. So when I'm throwing something out, you just receive it, okay? You receive it, write it down, claim that for you. So what does God say about you? Uh, this is what he says about you. I am loved. I am chosen. I am beloved. I have been made holy. I have been made righteous. I have been raised up with Christ. I am complete in Christ. Can I get an amen? I have been made whole in Jesus. I am an alien to this world, and I have a citizenship in heaven. I am light in the Lord, no longer living in darkness. I have been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. I have been equipped through the Holy Spirit for every task. Every task and every situation that comes my way, I have been equipped by the Holy Spirit. I am bold. I am confident. I have been brought near to God through Jesus. I am, I am God's workmanship, created to produce good works. I am seated in heavenly places with Christ. I've been marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. You guys writing these down? I don't see anyone writing down, all right? I do not want to have to go back through this, but I will. Write these down. Claim them. I, have, I am redeemed. I have been made blameless before God. I am forgiven. I have been set free. I am no longer a slave to sin. Amen. I'm a new creation. I've been adopted into the kingdom, and I have been made an heir to the Most High. I am a friend of Jesus. I have been justified. I have been accepted by Jesus. I am a saint. And last but not least, I am a child of God. Amen. Amen. Spoiler, spoiler alert. I did not make that list. It was all found in Scripture. It was all found in Scripture. That is what God says about you guys. I think a lot of us, like, that might be something new, like, that gum, I'm, I'm actually accepted by him. I've been, accept, I've been rejected by everyone that I've ever met. To, but to be accepted by Jesus, it's a powerful thing. So again, like I said, Simon Peter, he was operating for that three years out of the identity of Simon. He was operating out of that identity of Simon. Um, but something switched. Something switched inside of him. And it's actually really important during that switch. Could you bring that next verse up for me, Chloe? So this is at the end of John. We first started reading in John 1 where Peter, or when uh, yeah, Simon meets Jesus, Jesus says, your name is now going to be Peter. Through the three years of him walking with him, Peter doing all that ridiculous stuff that I shared, all that you know, kind of dumb stuff, uh, after Peter denying Jesus, all of that, Jesus, of course, is re resurrected. Hallelujah. He comes back and he meets with them. He meets with the disciples and on, after breakfast, uh, or he cooks some breakfast, and then verse 15, this is John chapter 21, verse 15. After they had breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon. He didn't call him Peter. He said to Peter, but he called him Simon. You know why? Because, again, Peter had been acting like Simon for the past three years. He had been operating out of the Simon identity rather than the Peter identity. And Jesus very wittingly addresses that, addresses that, almost like a little just, you know, slide in. Simon, son of Jonah, do you burn with love for me more than these? Peter answered, yes, Lord. You know that I have this great affection for you. This, uh, this conversation between them, it, it goes on the whole chapter. It's so beautiful, so beautiful to see the, the restoration that takes place in, in Peter's spirit. And, and after that, after that, after Jesus addressing to Simon, Peter finally starts to live with the, Peter, the identity of who Jesus said. He starts operating out of that identity as Peter. We know this because we look at the letters. Go ahead and bring the next verse up for me, Chloe. We look at the letters uh, that Peter uh, wrote in the New Testament. This is uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. From Peter, an apostle of Jesus, the anointed one. 
an apostle of Jesus to the anointed one. If you notice a, a lot of through, uh, through a lot of the letters in the New Testament, when you read them, when they open up and they identify who they are, they share their names. A lot of times they'll share, I'm, I'm commanded by God to do this. I'm with this person. I'm with this person. And, and it's not because they're being shallow. They're just showing kind of, you know, where their authority comes to write this. You know, they're given some, some affirmation. They're, they're, you know, given some, um, not, I can't really think of the word, but, you know, some sources to check, basically, stuff like that. And, and, and they kind of affirm who they are and why they're writing this letter. But Peter opens up an apostle of Jesus. That's all he writes, an apostle of Jesus. When I read that, I hear confidence in Peter's voice. When I read that, I hear confidence in Peter's voice, knowing that this isn't Simon writing this. This isn't scared Simon denying Jesus. This is Peter. This is who Jesus has called me to be, and that's the, that's the identity that I'm going to begin operating out of. That's how he opens up his letter, and again, I think that's, that's so, um, it's it, it just so amazing to, to read that, to look at that, you know, um, to have that confidence that Peter had, again, from being the scared Simon to this bold, uh, confident man. He knows that he's. Uh, he knows that who he is and whose he is, and he's confident in that. And he knows that he's been called, um, and he's chosen, and that he's loved. So we slide down to verse two. Go ahead and bring that up for me, Chloe. And this is what uh, Peter writes. And again, I think this is what uh, God wants me to hone in on. Tyler, if you want to go ahead and come on up, I think he's around here somewhere. First Peter chapter one, verse two. You are not forgotten. You are not forgotten. I feel like God wants to tell someone today that you were not forgotten. You weren't passed by. You weren't moved along with. You didn't fall underneath. You didn't fall between the cracks. You, you, you didn't slip his mind. You are not forgotten. I felt Holy Spirit tell me very confidently that someone in here needs to hear that you are not forgotten. It doesn't matter your age. doesn't matter where you came from. You are not forgotten. If you can hear my voice, if you're still alive, God wants to do something incredible through you incredible through you. I wish I knew what that was. I wish I knew who I was actually speaking to right now, but I know that someone can hear my voice and they want, God wants you to hear, you are not forgotten. For you have been chosen already out of the gate. You have been chosen. I felt like Holy Spirit wanted me to, to make these words, make the words of Peter very specific this morning. There's a reason that I kept them out, out of the list earlier. And I think someone needs to hear that you are not forgotten and you are chosen. You know what the cool part about being chosen implies? That you're chosen, that you're wanted. I, I heard someone say, and this might deal with, uh, this might mess with your theology some, but I heard someone say that, that, that God needs you. And, I, and I'm sure they were just trying to, you know, I, I know that they meant well by saying it. I, I, know that, I know that it was coming from a place of love, that, that God needs you. And I, in my heart, immediately, I, I, I just, I didn't agree with it. I didn't agree with it. I think needing someone implies that they're vital to the operation, that without them, the operation would fail. When I look at where I work with, I am, okay, I'm not needed. My brother is needed at that operation, okay? Uh, an example, he is the steel welder, so if we have anything that needs welded, he's the go-to man. Without him, it's not happening. The job is not getting done. Without you, unfortunately, God's plan is still gonna move along. But rather than needing you, he wants you. I think that's so incredible. Rather than needing me, he chooses me, okay? Because there's not much I can bring to him. There's not much I can bring to him. There, there, there's nothing that I can do that's going to, you know, better his plan. But yet he doesn't need me, but he wants me. 
and he wants you. You guys are chosen. You guys are chosen. And the rest of that chapter, again, Peter is just like speaking life into these people. Uh, you know, just speaking life, his story, where he's came from. And then in chapter 2, he uh, shares this. If you want to go ahead and pull up that last slide. This is uh, chapter 2, verse 9. Is it working? Thank you. It says, Come and be as living stones who are continually being assembled into the sanctuary of God. For now you serve as holy priests, offering up spiritual sacrifices that, be, that he readily accepts through Jesus Christ. Your last fill-in, you are a priest. Ladies, I'm speaking to you too. For some reason, men, for some reason, men get that. You've got to be the priest of your household. Each and every one of us, we are priests. Amanda put a, a sign up in our, our bathroom, and it's this verse from Colossians, and it just paraphrases it, and it's like, you were chosen, accepted, and dearly loved. I think that's how it goes. It's just a verse from Colossians, not too familiar with it. And, and the point, I, point is, many of us are familiar with those signs, right? You have them hanging in your house. We have them hanging here in the church. You're, you're wanted. You're forgiven. You know, the highlights. I've never seen one that, that says you're a priest. I've never seen one that says you're a priest. Um, I think we have one. I don't know if it's here or somewhere, but uh, I, I've seen Philippians 4.13 in a bathroom somewhere, and I was like, what am I getting inspired to do? Like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like, I can use the bathroom by myself. Like, I'm so inspired. It's like, weird. It's a weird placement. Um, everyone's like, what is this guy doing? I thought he was closing, and it was an altar call, but he's talking about the bathroom. Um, again, we see those types of inspiring signs everywhere, right? You know, you're loved, you're wanted, you're chosen. Again, I've never seen a priest sign. You are a priest. It, 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 it's not that common. But I want to share and, and close with this point today to remind us that we are a priest. Two reasons I wanted to share that. Number one, compare that thought to the way you conduct yourselves right now. Compare, compare that thought that I'm a priest of the Most High to the way you conduct yourselves right now. Unfortunately, I would say a lot of us are operating way below our calling. A lot of us are operating way below their, the identity of priesthood. The other reason is I kind of want to explain you know, what that implies, what that means, uh, to remind you that you are an ambassador to the Most High. You know, what were priests in the Old Testament? Think about that for a second. They were, they were the mediators. They were like, they were the vessel to meet with God. They were these intercessors almost. They were the intercessors. They were the only ones that were allowed to go into the temple and to make sacrifices unto God. They were the only ones that seemed holy and righteous enough. But by the blood of Jesus, we all can come to him. We can all come to God boldly and, and, and confidently. And we are to be the intercessors for the people, for the world, all right? That is our new identity. That is our new assignment to be priests unto this world, to go and to meet with God and bring those words back. So I kind of just want you to think for a moment. If you want to go ahead and stand with me.